15 through 27. We're still staying with the theme that the Apostle Paul picked up in chapter 8, a principle. Then he illustrated it in the first 14 verses. And then 15 through, he'll show you what the priorities of Christian freedom are. This is good stuff. I don't know. I thought it was good stuff. Maybe you guys all know it. But if you didn't, I just thought it was just fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. This is the text that gets... um, one of the texts that I've run into in my ministry that gets uh, misused more than anything I've ever seen, okay? This single text. The problem is the context is 15 through. The problem truly is is the context starts in chapter 8 and finishes up in chapter 11, okay? And if you take just this, have you ever heard this one? I'm going to be all things to all men, okay? That, therefore, I can go to the bar and minister, Okay? Well, I've just seen it and heard it used for anything I want to cover up what I claim I'm doing. This is the text that they will use. I will be all things to all men, a Jew, a Jew, a Gentile, a Gentile. Okay? And therefore, I can act just like any heathen because I'm trying to win the lost. That is how they use it. That is not the context. Okay? Let's read 15 through 27 and ask the Lord to teach us. But I have used none of these things. I am not writing these things so that it will be done. So in my case, for it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. Interesting phrase. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I'm under compulsion. For woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this voluntarily... I have a reward, but if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews... I became as a Jew, so that I might win the Jews, to those under the law as the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law, to those who are without the law as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I may win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may be all by that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Good stuff. Let's pray. Father, we come today to hear from you. 
Father, we come today to understand, understand our brother Paul, and yet, Father, understand your desires. Father, understand the richness that you have graced us, the mercy that you have lavished upon us, and the love that you have poured upon us. Father, as we, as we wrestle at times, Father, as we bow at times, as Father, as we rejoice at times, it's times that we grieve. Father, may we cherish what you have given. Freedom. Freedom. But yet, Father, may that freedom be controlled by the love of you poured in our hearts by the person of your Holy Spirit. To your praise and to your glory. In Christ's precious name. Amen. As I began this thing, I wanted you to see that we as Christians have greater freedom than any beings on the planet Earth. You need to understand that. You really, really need to grab that. If Christendom could embrace it and understand it for what it is, um, the world would be rocked to its very core. Because the Christian freedom is part of what was given to us in our redemption. It is part of that that has been given to us uh, by the person of the Holy Spirit. It is a part of that that gives us abilities and, and powers that are, are beyond all things, all understanding. I, I like this phrase down here, I discipline my body to make it my slave. Do you understand that? Okay. How many of us are slaves to our body? Okay. But Paul says, I have disciplined mine. So it is my slave. My body, my vessel that I'm in is for me. Okay? Not me for my vessel. Okay? The time that a Christian says, I'm going to slide over here into sin, though I don't think it's that big a sin, and you know what? I have been forgiven. I slide over there. Do you know what you just did? You've chosen that your flesh becomes your master. Okay, and ask yourself a question. What did it get you before salvation? What will it gain you now? Okay, and, and, and that's, that's part of this, but the other part of this is your freedom in Christ. See, Christians, uh, there's a great debate that has gone on for ages over man's free will. Okay, that's an amazing term because for first and foremost, it doesn't show up in holy writ. The term doesn't. Okay, do men make choices? Sure, they do. Absolutely. But if I read my Bible right, I am either a slave, meaning that there's someone who is my master. I'm either a slave to sin or I am a slave to righteousness. Here's one of our problems. Lost people don't get to choose. Lost people will only follow one master. Okay, now run around America today and tell these people that they're slaves and what will be their response? I ain't a slave. I'm a free man. I have rights. I have... Uh, yeah, you are. Uh, I remember talking to some, some associates, some friends that I used to have before I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And uh, their comment was, uh, so now you're a worshiper of Jesus, are you? And I said, Yeah. I said, I have changed the course from where you guys were. And they said, well, what was that? I said, I don't worship Miller Genuine Draft anymore. 
I have never met a person in my life who does not worship. Ever. Everybody worships. And we worship some silly stuff, don't we? I've watched men worship women. And then they gather that woman and they feel that they've been cursed. (laughs) This idol was more demanding than what I deemed. Okay? And that's all right because I've seen women do the same. I have seen men and women worship animals, pets. In Boulder, you are no longer allowed to own a pet. Did you know that? You are a steward of the pet. Oh, sorry, of the animal. You have stewardship over it. It cannot be a pet. Okay? When my dog or cat decides to exercise that right, they will no longer be a pet. (laughs) Guaranteed. All right? Uh, But we just need to understand this. This is what we are. And yet, in Christ, I have freedom. I knew a man many, many years ago, 20-some years ago, who at the age of 20 years old was making a little over half a million dollars a year. Now, 20 years ago, half a million dollars is, is a wheelbarrow full of money. Today, half a million dollars just barely gets you a new car. But uh, uh, at that point in time, I knew this guy, and he, he, he was making a little over half a million dollars a year. Okay, could travel anywhere he wanted to travel. Had him a nice little condominium. Had him a nice Corvette. Had anything that the world had to offer. And if you ask him today, what was that like? He said, I have never been in so much slavery and bondage in my entire life. At 20 years old? But he'll tell you that at 20 years old, he didn't realize it. But he was working on keeping the freedom, quote-unquote freedom, to travel and do whatever he wanted. He was working very diligently to keep track of his money and keep making more money and not losing what he had and a few other odds and ends that were going on in his life. But what the world would throw at that man, he said, I will take it and I will buy and I will pursue anything and everything that I choose. And if you talk to that man today, he will tell you, I was under greater bondage and slavery than any time in my entire life. So you see what happens? What does the world paint as freedom? What does the Lord paint as freedom? And we need to pay attention to this. Um, when I was going through this, when I'm, I'm in, the, in the big picture of chapter 8, because chapter 8, he lays out a principle that says that you can have all knowledge, but if you have love, don't have love, um, you're arrogant. You're puffy. The literal Greek term is just your big bag of air. But he says love edifies. Love will strengthen. And I was thinking about this because many of you who've known me for a time know my passion, my love for the church, the bride of Christ. And one of the things that I know emphatically, I don't have to pray is this God's will or any of these other things, is Jesus Christ wants the church to be one. He desires the church to be one. Um, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in the fourth chapter beginning in verse 3. He wrote these things. He says, I want you to, and I'm paraphrasing this, but he says, I want you to preserve, I want you to keep the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace. You know what's amazing about that? 
The unity and the peace is already there. I only want you to preserve it. Okay? How's come I see so many people out trying to make the unity and make peace? And, uh, uh, you know, it's really simplistic if you think about it. There's only one Lord. There's only one faith. There's only one baptism. There's only one hope of our calling. There's one God and there's one Father, Father of us all. So I'm thinking that when I read through that, that the emphasis that the Apostle Paul is looking for is unity, is oneness. If you look at this letter in the 12th chapter, you'll see that, G- that Paul describes the church as a body, a human body. If you think about your body right now, would you say that it's all on the same page? It is. I mean, when you eat something, the digestive system, enzymes and everything else works so that you can get fat. Sorry, just kidding. All right, so that you have energy for your body and you can move and you have things to happen. When you think that you need to pick up a drink of water, what happens? Does the hand say, I ain't doing it? You can't make me. Okay, so he gives a picture of the human body and says, hey, this is what the church is supposed to be like. And I said, okay. I mean, when we get up to go walk someplace, the feet says, I ain't doing it and you can't make me. You know, I work down there at the challenge course. Um, and we have a 40-foot tower that people climb up. And I was down there working with some... Uh, <laughs> it's amazing to us. It was young people, but all the adults are chewing at the cud. To, I must show my testosterone or whatever. I don't think women show testosterone, do they? But anyway, they were wanting to do it. And so when they all get up on this one side, this net is sagging, and there's a gap about that far, and you have to reach with one hand. And if you reach up again, there's a board on the top of it, and you can grab a hold of that. But when they all get to the top of it, they reach up, and they look over, and they look at me, and they say... How do I get up? And I tell them, get your head over and the body will follow. And it will. It does every time. It's amazing. Why? There's incentive. There's incentive. The eyes all of a sudden see a great platform that isn't vertical. It's horizontal. There are four stories up off the ground dangling on a very small rope, by the way. And they're looking down thinking, I need to be on the platform. What happens to the rest of the body? Hearty agreement. Amen. Hurry. Get your head over. I will follow. Okay? God designed the body for unity, didn't He? Ministry within the body of Christ is a very important aspect of the church. Why? It's a body. It's a body. Every single one of you in this group today has been given a supernatural ability for the edification of the saints for the work of ministry, service. That's a fascinating concept. Especially in light of the the text that says that it's a body. Why? You can take a body, a human body, and remove one hand and say that bugger can still function, but is it as effective? No. No. When the body is intact and all parts are running as it should, it's a very effective piece of equipment. As I look around today, I have to ask myself a question. If I know that Christ's desire is for unity, why is there such a great absence of it? And I would say 
in much of the church in this country. It's not so much in other countries. Other countries that I've had opportunities and privileges to deal with, they understand it. And I've got uh, five reasons I'll deal with real quickly on why I believe that the church in America is disunified. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 um, says, <clears throat> You're still fleshly. <laughs> You're still carnal. You're not walking in the Spirit. Okay, we have an amazing phenomenon happening in the church today. Um, and I'd like to tell you I knew when it happened, and I can't tell you when it happened, but I can tell you that I've seen it. You have what you would call conservative uh, evangelicals, okay, very strong in doctrine, love the Word of God and all the rest of it, but they have this thing they don't want to talk about, the Holy Spirit. Okay, you've got this other group over here that I will call the experientials who blame the Holy Spirit for everything. Okay? And so you have this great chasm between the two. You have conservatives who love the Word of God, but it's almost like that the Holy Spirit is... Okay? Then you have these other people over here who have forgot about the other side of God, and they are only focusing on the Holy Spirit. Okay? Truth of the matter is, we should be in the middle, walking in the Spirit. Okay? How do you know, right now, now I want to ask you a question. Think with me here. This is going to be more of an interactive thing. How do you know if you're being fleshly? How do you know if all of a sudden the old Jew has just stood up and said, it's time for me to talk? How do you know? Well, this text says, there's jealousy and strife. How do I know if I'm fleshly? What happens? There's jealousy and there's strife, division, quarreling. Okay? And you know how else you know? You walk like mere men. You walk like mere men. How many of us base our Christianity on what we can perceive, what I can grasp, and what I have seen and experienced with my senses? How many of us do that? Anybody here? We're all guilty of it, I believe. Some of us like to live there. It's easier. But the truth of the matter is, if you summarize the Bible, do you know I can summarize 66 books of the Bible in one phrase? No, you can't. Yes, I can. One phrase. The righteous shall live by... Faith. You know what faith is, right? How much is your faith is based on your senses? How many times will we say, God has blessed me because I have something? Okay, I got a new Buick. Therefore, God has blessed me. Will that car be eternal? No. God didn't bless you, you just got a good credit rating. Or somebody gave you some money and you bought a car. Okay? See what I'm saying? Those who are fleshly will base their spiritual experience on what the flesh can perceive and grasp. Is that walking by faith? No. We have a bad habit of taking in methodology. Okay? We see somebody, he goes over or she goes over and does something, and it just gets this big thing happens. Okay? Immediately, 
they publish. Okay, here's how we did it. Here's my book, my registered trademark, 295, and I give 10% to Jesus and everything will be good. All right, and what happens? We all of a sudden want to run out and we want to do that method. Okay, I'm leery of that because when David went out to fight Goliath, Saul said, here, put on my armor. And David said, it won't fit. Okay, why? God had a purpose for David. If he puts on the armor, who's going to get a little bit of the credit there? But if you go out there dressed like a shepherd boy does, and you've got you nothing but a sling and a hand pocket full of rocks, what happens? Who gets the credit? God gets the credit. Why? Shepherd boy used to running off games fighting the giant. All right? Too many times in our society, what we want to do is say, look, if this guy did this and this and this and this happened, then we need to be doing this and this and this. And what would happen? We replicate it. We think we would. The Apostle Paul is dealing with the fact that, you know what? This church in Corinth has divisions and schism in it. And one of it is, is that they have a fracturing of the fellowship. Why? Because you're carnal. You're carnal. You're still fleshly. You walk as mere men. You are playing favoritisms. We've already dealt with this. There's cliques. You know what's amazing? Some of the people in the church in Corinth was doing some weird stuff. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. I am of Jesus. Okay, let me ask you a question. Think hard with me for a minute. What did those groups teach different from one another? Ooh, so how could you be of Paul and not of Apollos? How could you be of Cephas and not of Christ? What happened? Jealousy, strife, mere men. What happens today? You see it. I'm of Swindoll. I am of Rogers. I am of MacArthur. I am of whatever. Be careful. What would you just do? Spirit Zodiates calls it personality cults. <laughs> Spirit said it. I didn't. Okay, so it's, it, there's, we have to be real careful about that. Look at 1 Corinthians 6.6. 6. Brother goes to law with brother and before unbelievers. They're attacking each other. They're suing each other. Actually, then, it is already a defeat. Verse 7 says, a defeat for you that you have lawsuits among one another. Why not be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? Well, but, uh, you know, I'm being a good steward of what God's given me. And you don't figure that God can see what's going on and deal with it? All right. Christians were attacking each other. Go over to 2 Corinthians, chapter 11. 2 Corinthians, that'd be the next one to the right. 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 13 says this. Okay, so for the first two reasons that you can see why there would be disunity, okay, one is that they are fleshly. Two, they are fighting. Here's a third reason, verse 13. For such men... As false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And then he goes there and there and describes it. He's talking 
about false teachers. False teachers. Errant theology is what I would call it. All right, and, and he says here, he says, look, look what he says here. No wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is not surprising for his servants also. Ooh, that's a nasty. That's about as politically incorrect statement as you're going to get. That man over there is a false teacher. What he's teaching is not true. Therefore, he is a servant of Satan. That terror win enemies, wouldn't it? <laughs> Just by the bumper crop. Look what he says, though. I want you to see what the church in Corinth was doing in verse 20. Look at verse 20. For you tolerate it. If anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, if anyone takes advantage of you, if anyone exalts himself, if anyone hits you in the face, to my shame I say that we've been weakened by comparison. They were tolerating it. False teachers were coming in. And the people were saying, well, that's all right. That's just how they believe. Look at verse 28. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure of my concern for the churches. Well, that's what Paul's heart is that I show you there. Why? He's trying to keep the churches connected. And part of the thing that was breaking the connection is false teachers. Okay? So if I look at it, I can say that I've got this favoritism thing going on. Okay? Which is the flesh. All right, I've got fighting going on, and I also got false teachers. Look at chapter twelve of Second Corinthians, verse twenty. For I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you not find you to be not what I wish, and I may fi- be found by you not to be what you wish. That perhaps there will be strife and jealousy and angry tempers and disputes and slanders and gossips and arrogance. Okay? It's a list of stuff there for disunity. Okay? It's, it's the inability of people to get along. If you just go through that, that's personal relationship. What is gossiping? What is slander? What is disputes? Okay? Angry tempers. Jealousy and strife. And he says, I'm afraid that I get there... This is what I'm going to find. And, and because you have sinned, all right, look what he says. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before, humiliate me before you. And what he's basically getting at is that I've already brought this out in the first letter I wrote you. Actually, this letter here technically is his fourth letter to the Corinthian church. And he is pointing out their sins. So that what would happen? They would repent. If I have these things in here, I have sin in my heart. And whose responsibility is it? It's mine. To do what? To repent. To change that direction and go another direction. And, and, and I see this. I've had people say that every time I hear you, I am convicted. And there's a part of me that just wants to jump up and say, then repent. I don't convict anybody. God convicts me. Guess who convicts you? God does. And if you're disunified with the body of Christ... You've either got favoritism, you're fighting with somebody in the body of Christ, you have bought into false teaching, or you have failed to repent. 
that four? All right. I'll give you a fifth one. It's our text in your outline. Misusing my freedom. See, I could get F's out of that. Alliterate, huh? I just noticed that. Oh, that's kind of cool. I have favoritism. I have fighting. I have false teachers. Uh, what was the other? Failure to repent and misuse of freedom. Oh, freedom misused. How's that? <laughs> I've arrived. I can alliterate. All right? What happens with my freedom and I misuse it is that I don't take into account how it affects someone else. Okay? Go, you should be in 2 Corinthians. Go over to Galatians 5 for a second. Galatians is an amazing book, and I want you to think about this book because it's about four chapters, four and a half chapters that describes our freedom. Okay? And what was happening in the Galatia area was that Judaizers, these are people who are under Judaism and Christianity, are trying to blend the two together. It's a great phenomenon. It's growing again. If you hear the second teachings of Paul now, okay, they're basically saying that Paul, we have misinterpreted the whole, all of the writings of Paul because we have not looked at the true light of Judaism at the time of Paul versus what it is today. Okay? Yeah, I have. <laughs> okay. But we, listen, it's coming out of mainline seminaries. Master's College, the Master's Seminary. Anybody heard of those? President would be John MacArthur. Okay. Uh, Dallas is filtering out some of these guys who are saying that if you understand the true line of Judaism, what they're wanting to do is put you back under the law. They're basically saying, Paul loved the law, all of it. And you just got to have the law. Well, no. Anyway, we won't go there. All right, but I I want you to listen to what he says in verse 13 of chapter 5. For you are called to freedom, liberty, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, what does it say? Who would that be? Serve one another. Okay? Because if I'm not serving one another, I may be taking my freedom to do what? Serve my flesh. Serve my flesh. Okay? Remember what the great commandment was? Love thy neighbor as the other neighbor. <laughs> no. As yourself. Okay? You, we have been given liberty. He says it there in verse 13. You've been called to freedom. Been given liberty, but do not use it to run out and in your flesh do ever what you want. That's not what it's about. Remember, he says all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. And what does he say about it? I will not be mastered by any of it. Okay? It even goes on in that text and says that you're consuming one another. What does that mean? In the context, he's saying people are exercising their flesh and destroying one another. That will definitely fracture the church. You have liberty. You have liberty. You have more liberty as a child of God than you've ever had or ever known in your life. Okay? But what do I do with that? And that's what we're looking at. I wanted to show you all of this because if you're disunified with a saint right now, which of those five are your problem. Okay? Because remember, we're only supposed to preserve what already exists. 
All right? Not only that, I am not going to allow my freedom to do what? Cause another to stumble. Not only that, I should be knocking myself out to serve. Who? Anyone but myself. Serving one another. Serving one another. So, our freedom is limited by our love for one another. In Galatians, he says, you you bite and you devour one another. Don't consume one another. Don't misuse your freedom. Okay? Chapter 8, we'll go back to Corinthians now, because everybody's saying, but I thought we were studying. Okay? Chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, he gave us the principles. When I called that, I looked at dealing with gray areas. Certain things, we have a technical right. Uh, I have a technical right to do. Okay? Um, hey, let me give you a, a for instance. A rock concert comes up. Can anybody in the Bible, with the Bible, show me where I as a Christian should not go to a rock concert? I I can't see it in there. But what happens if I go to a rock concert and I run into a younger saint? What happens then? Technically, do I have a right to go to a rock concert? Well, let's, let's even make it this way. Listen to rock and roll music. Is that a sin? I don't know. Some of the Christian stations seem more harmful than... Never mind. Actually, but, but is that a sin to listen to rock and roll music? I mean, I don't know, you know. I find it amazing that we can say rock and roll music is a sin, but opera isn't. Okay? You don't even know what they're saying in opera. They're speaking in another language. They be talking about your mom. They can be, you don't know what they're saying, but you can go listen to that. That's not, and I'm not knocking opera. Yeah, him. <laughs> I don't know. You will never have to worry about me causing you to stumble about me going to see an opera. <laughs> okay, but but it just. It, I, do you see what I'm getting at? Okay, and I've heard it go this way. Well, the only good Christian wholesome music is country and western. I'm sitting there going, really? I've seen George Jones, <laughs> Willie Nelson. They don't look wholesome <laughs> on their good days. All right, so what he's, you basically look at is in these gray areas, okay, these gray areas where the Bible doesn't say you should not. How do I deal with it? Well, in knowledge of Scripture, is my knowledge governed by the love of Jesus Christ that's been poured in my heart? Okay? Paul gave a great illustration in the first part of chapter 9. As an apostle, as a preacher, is he, by right, technical right, allowed and even mandated to be paid for that that he's doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the Apostle Paul did something with this illustration. Okay? It's sort of like, let me show you how I had a liberty, I had a right, I had a privilege, I had a freedom, and I set that all aside for the sake of love. Let this be an illustration to you. That's what he's doing. He has a right. He has a right. Look at the middle of verse 12, chapter 9. We did not use this right, but we endured all things. 
Okay? The word endured, presence, uh, or, or is present tense. Okay? It may be translated bared. It's to endure. But it, there's a key to it. It, it has to do with a, an anguish that has been put on you, a heavy load that has been put on you, and in silence and no complaining, I took it. Okay? It's present tense. You know what that means, right? Continually. I never stopped enduring. I can look at that word and say, this was Paul's way of life. You and I may call it self-denial. Paul had no problem to work at night and teach during the day or work at day and teach at night. He had no problem whatsoever. He supported himself. You know what was really cool about it? He was even willing to work to support the people who was with him, his quote-unquote team. Why? He didn't want to hinder the gospel. Paul understood an amazing thing. A claim for support for new believers, an infant church, would cause problems, especially in evangelism. Okay? So he was willing to endure anything rather than to give his enemies a reason to oppose him or give people a reason not to get saved. The word hindrance that you see there in 12, so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel. It literally is a Greek word for cutting into. And it was used in military terms if you had a city um, and and you knew you were going to be attacked and you knew, say, that the the soldiers, the the attacking army was was, was a few miles away, Uh, one of the tactics to protect your city was is that you would send men out to cut up the road, break up the highway, making the approach as difficult as possible. Okay? So that's the term the Apostle Paul says, I don't want to lay nothing in front of the gospel that makes its approach difficult. That's kind of cool. Even though I have the right to support, I don't want you to think that I'm in this thing for money. Okay? Let me give you an illustration to help you. Okay? You're in the workforce. Many of you are in the workforce. You work and you have co-workers. All right? And God lays a person on your heart. Okay? To witness to, to share with, and, you know, pattern your life that they will see the glory of Christ. Okay? So you start this thing. You're witnessing. You're praying for them. You're sharing truth of scriptures and all the rest. And all of a sudden, one day, this one employee, this one co-worker of yours gets saved wants to know how to be saved and ask Jesus for forgiveness and all the rest of it. Would you look at that child and say, now I need some money to support the church? Would you tell that new believer that? That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Listen, you've got to understand something about Paul's ministry. <clears throat> when Paul was preaching the gospel, nobody ever heard the name Jesus. Okay? Okay, here, let me ask you a question. Is it right for a Christian to support the church? Not only is it right, it's smart. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Okay. But, but uh, we wouldn't put that into a new Christian. Why? I can't say, say that to a new Christian. The Apostle Paul is planting new churches. All right. Basically, you need to understand what planting a new church is. This, if you want to know, if, if somebody told you who is the greatest evangelist ever, most people are going to say Billy Graham. I'm going to say Paul. Okay, here's why he's I don't want your money and I want to keep that issue absolutely clear. 
All right, Paul was a pastor at Antioch. All right, he was called to go where the gospel had never gone before. And if they didn't understand the transformed life that comes in Jesus Christ, they're not going to understand giving. And it's going to make a mess. I guarantee it. Ever seen them guys on TV? The TV guys? They go through and they tell you all this wonderful stuff that they're going to do for you and now just send. Just send. You ever get them things in the mail and it checks a box for what you want to do? You ever notice that we read from left to right and the highest number is where? On the left-hand side. Because you immediately think, check that one, and you just donated $5,000. But I was only going to give twenty five. dollars Well, it's on the far right-hand side. Why do they do that? I seen a guy wanted you to send in his handkerchief. He, he would mail you a handkerchief for some money. And you send, and when you get that, he had touched it and you'd be blessed, but you needed to send him money to keep the handkerchief. Okay? And I was like, wow, that's, wish I'd have thought that up. No. <laughs> but, but do you see what I'm saying? And we hear this all the time, right? Well, what's the difference of taking that same mentality into pagan society where you have high priests who've been taking your money and living high and mighty and you keep coming in here giving dollars and keep giving money and offerings and all these other things and nothing gets better for you? Listen, when we send, I shared with you the letter from Leonid and we have Gennady also. When we send those church planners out, who supports them? Who does? We do. Okay. Remember I've shared with you the Antioch Initiative? Okay. Do you know what that's modeled after? What I just gave you. Okay. Train the people in Orel. Strengthen them and then what? Send them out and what? Support them. Why? They're going where the gospel's never been named. And they can't walk into his village and say, I need some cash, but I can give you eternal life. Nobody does that. Part of the problem, part of the trouble is, if you're going to see people grow, you need to build a relationship with them. Because if you don't, then they're going to say the reason that you're in the ministry is for the money. Listen, anybody who gets into my line of work for a vocation is a fool. It's, a fo- you're, it's foolish. Why? You don't, wouldn't believe what a demanding boss I have. Or you know what is amazing about my boss? I can never say I wouldn't do it that way. Okay? Have you ever had your boss and you know that you know a better way than your boss? I don't. I don't have any idea how to do it except what he tells me. So anybody thinks you can go do this for a vocation is, is a... You need professional help. Okay? Paul was wise enough in his ministry never to exercise the right to be paid. Did you know that? I cannot find in the New Testament where he took money from the churches that he was laboring in. He worked, always worked to supply his needs. But I want to bring you to a note, something that you haven't forgot, so you don't forget. Chapter 9, verse 5, there's an implication. All right, remember what he's talking about. He's receiving money for the gospel. 
Chapter 5 says, Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord, and who? Cephas. The context says, who was paying these people? Who was taking care of these people? The church was, right? So it's obvious and it's clear there that the rest of the apostles were receiving money from the ministry. Peter was receiving money from the ministry. And the Lord's brothers, that would be his half-brothers, siblings, were receiving money. And yet the apostle Paul says, I never took any. I never took any. All right? Why? The Apostle Paul wanted no resistance to the gospel because of money. And I don't believe any of us would evangelize that way, would we? I'd love to get you saved because I know that you have a lot of money and we need a new building. Is that how we would do that? I don't think so. I'll be honest with you, I know some who do think that way. But I shared with you last week in Philippians 4 that as a church matured, pay attention to what I'm saying here. As the church matured, as the church grew up and accepted the things of God, how did you know that the church had grown? Paul says it clearly in 4. The Philippians, why? I received it with thanksgiving, knowing that I want you to know I did not need it, but knowing that you gave it is a sign of your maturity. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Why? If I have grown up in the aspect of who I am in Christ, what my inheritance is, what I have as a child of God, and I have enough mileage down the road to see He has always been faithful, then I learn how to give liberally. Not only that, I shared with you last week that the Macedonians, what did they do? They gave beyond what they even had. They were given that that could not be replaced. What's Paul saying about both of those areas? One, the Bereans were what? Classified noble. That's an amazing statement. Think about what he says. You are worthy of great honor, Bereans. Why? Because you searched the Scriptures to see if what I, was see, what I said was true. And we all say that, right? That would be noble. Anybody here want to be a noble Christian? You know what's amazing about the church in... Berea? It's in Macedonia. And the Macedonian churches in Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi, gathered together, knew that there was a great poverty in Jerusalem, and they gathered a huge sum of money to send it to Paul. But they also sent a whole bunch of money to Paul because they knew that he was down in Athens and Corinth and was not taking money from those plants. Those church plants is what you would call them today. As a church matures, one of the graces of the Holy Spirit is giving. Now listen, uh, I ain't here to preach on giving. I am here to show you this text. You know, uh, if you're visiting and you're saying, Demon Kirk is a preacher everywhere I go. Them Baptist preachers always want money. Listen, I don't want no money. But I want everybody to grow in the grace that's in Jesus Christ. My whole heart, my passion is to present every man complete in Christ. Period. If I want money, I can go drive a truck in Baghdad. They're paying well. <laughs> um, 
and you only have to go for a year. (laughs) Anyway, as a church matures, people give. They give. Macedonians gave out of their deep poverty. And Paul took it and he was overwhelmed with thanks in it. In the early years, Paul understood, I don't want to confuse the issue. This is amazing. Think about it today. Is that the way we do it? No, heck no. If you study other apostles, I have no record anywhere in scriptures if I have looked, any other apostle or evangelist or New Testament prophet ever did what Paul did. And you'll see in this text why. Okay? Paul seems to be the only one, and I understand part of it because of the society he was in. He was called the apostle to the Gentiles. Okay? You and I are Gentiles, but let's be realistic. If I go to a Gentile area around here, who hasn't heard the gospel? They've all heard the gospel some point in time. All right? I mean, somewhere they, somebody slipped up and explained to them what Christmas really was. Whoops. But I didn't know Jesus wore a red hat. And what was Jesus doing with a bunch of deer? Well, it wasn't Jesus. That was his buddy Santa Claus. Okay, so, but we see it that way. All right, I want you to go back to 15 again. He says, I have used none of these things. This is key to this text. This is key to 8, 9, and 10. I have used none of these things. Then look what he says. I love it. Have anybody here heard reverse psychology? Huh? Has anybody here heard it? And, and if you're a parent, you've exercised it at time, all right? And we think that, you know, this is a new teaching, reverse psychology. No, it ain't. The Apostle Paul deals with it right here in verse 15. He says, I ain't writing this thing, so now you'll give to me. That's not why I'm writing this. Okay, he's not saying, you know what, you guys owe me. I was there for 18 months. And this, is my, well, this would be his actual second letter. You guys are not heads, so you owe me twice as much. That's not what he's saying. He wants you to understand that I'm not using reverse psychology here. He says, I just gave you six reasons that I should be paid, and I never asked for it, and I never exercised that. And he says, I don't want you to start paying me. Okay? He's not doing that thing to saying something you don't mean. Listen, this is holy writ. When the Apostle Paul in the Holy Scripture says, I'm not writing this so that you would pay me, he's not lying. Okay, we have a problem with that, don't we? We struggle with it. I've run into them. Somebody comes up to you and says, that was just wonderful. And our response is this. It was nothing. Okay, right? And in the back of your mind, you're saying, say it again. Say it again. Boy, I love this humility thing. Oh, I know. No one's guilty of that. Come on now, fess up. Huh? That was wonderful. I'm just a humble servant. It was nothing. What? How wonderful was it? Why? I'm just a humble servant. I love this humility thing. We have a tendency to say one of those. We learned a word last Monday night in our precept class, didn't we? Deleo. Guile is the translation in King James. What does it say? It says, I am sugarcoating this, and in the middle of it is a hook. I'm going to say this really cool to you, and right in the middle of this great big all-day sucker is a hook. And I want you to hear all the pretty things that I'm saying, because I love you. 
And you just keep taking it in, taking it in, taking it in. And what happens? You get hooked. And they may drag you right out of the water. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Why? Chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he says, even up to this present hour, he's already talking about it, he hasn't changed anything. I chose to be this way. In Acts chapter 20, verse 34, the Ephesian elders, I chose to be this way. I worked with my hands to set you a pattern. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, he says the same thing. He says, when we came among you, we didn't even pay for our food. Or we didn't even ask for free food. We paid for our food. Can you imagine? Think about it. You go to the potluck at the church and the pastor pays for his food? Why? I'm above reproach. Anybody here heard of Criswell, C.A. Criswell? preached down in Dallas for years and years and years, published all kinds of books. I mean, books and books and books and books and books. And the church grew thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, members. And just amazing stuff. And he felt it was time to leave. Why? There was some murmuring going on in the body of Christ that he had slaved over. And the murmuring was this. Criswell was from a, a wealthy family. Okay? And he was making royalty off of his books. And he says, I believe it's time for me to step away. Why? Because of the division that is here. And when he left, you know what he did? He wrote a check for all of his salary of 25 years preaching at that church. He wrote them a check back for every dime they ever gave him. He says, let it be known. I am above reproach. That's a man exercising something. You take that gospel in, you take it into new areas, and you start telling them you need cash up front, you're going to have some confusion. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, I had no free meals. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9, he says, When we were present with you, we had lacked nothing. Why? We were still receiving some money from more mature Christians. The Macedonians supplied our needs. Okay? So when you see verse 15, I have used none of these. I am not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case. Then he makes this statement. For it would be better for me to die than have any man... Make my boast an empty one. You know what the word boast there is? I'm going to conclude with this. In verse 16, I have nothing to boast of. All right? It's the same word both times. Okay, 11 times you'll see this word in the, in the uh, New Testament. Six times it's translated boasting in an arrogant way. Five times... It's translated in another word. You know what the word is? I thought it was fascinating. Rejoicing. I would rather die, he says, than have somebody steal that that I am rejoicing in. You got that? You're looking at an amazing man. 
a phenomenal man. Because what he's saying here, he says, I am not writing these things. Why? So it'll be done in my case. I don't want you all of a sudden to come up and give me a bunch of cash. Why? Because I would rather die than to have anybody give me cash and therefore steal what that I was rejoicing in. Why? Where did Paul put his faith? Where? How much of his faith was in the Lord? How much is that? No, 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 no. There's an amazing point here. Was he concerned about his financial needs? Was he concerned about where he was going to sleep? What he was going to drive? His insurance? His house payments? Nope. He says, I sacrifice that because my faith is such I believe in my Lord and He has met my needs. And if you just come up and give me all this money, then you're going to steal the joy of watching my faithful God provide. That's amazing stuff. That's mind-boggling. I don't care what anybody says. Why? This man walked by faith. Why? He's righteous. And the righteous shall live by faith. And Paul said, follow me. Well, Paul, you sound like you're trying to make yourself a God. No, I follow Jesus. What was Jesus' response when the rich young ruler wanted to come and follow him, but he had some things to take care of? The foxes have... Holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man hasn't got a place to lay his head down. Why? My Father's faithful. You forgot, this is planned. So if you're a follower of Paul, then you are only a follower of Jesus. Is it going to be fun? No. But what I wanted you to see out of verse 15, that this is the heart of the, this man who wrote this letter. Listen, ask yourself a question. Uh, let me give you the principle first. As I mature in Christ, you know what is a direct product of maturing in Christ? Well, I can teach a Sunday school. Nope. Um, I've got my systematic theology down. Nope. There's a direct product that is amazing, that is seen every day. I see it daily of people who are maturing in Christ. You know what it is? They love more. Did you know that? No, 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 no. I'm not talking about loving your kids. Okay? I'm talking about a love that goes out to the unlovable. I'm talking about a love that is unrestrained. I'm talking about a love that sacrifices. I'm talking about a love that will put everything and everybody first. You know what comes out of that love? I just described it. Giving. Giving. It's really cool. You give. You give your time. You give money. You give time and money sacrificially. All right? That's the way it is. I can show it to you biblically. I already have. And I can show it to you practically in, in some of you in this church. As I grow in my maturity. Now, please understand maturity isn't how much of the Bible you memorized. Okay? If that's true, then the Pharisees 
we're the most mature Christians that ever walked the planet. I don't think so. Uh, maturity is your faith. Do you trust him? Absolutely. As I trust him, I fall more and more in love with him. As I fall more and more in love with him, what happens? I give more. Why? What did he give you? What did Jesus Christ withhold from you? And then he smiles real big from the heavenlies and says, Come follow me. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for my brother Paul. And Lord, the amazing things that you have shown me through his life and through his writings. Lord, I just... Oh, wretched man that I am. Lord, I pray that we will embrace this and rejoice that Paul never used these things. And that, Father, that he had a joy, a rejoicing in his self-denial. Father, may we strive to discipline our bodies and make it our slaves. And that, Father, we understand that we would not be disqualified. That, Father, we would bow before you, follow you, rejoice in you, embrace you. Father, I pray for everybody who's here this day. Lord, you know the hairs on every one of them's head. Father, on their behalf, and for me, Lord, for me. May by your grace and your mercy and by your power, we fall more in love with you, with every breath you, you grace us with. Father, the love that you showed us at Calvary, may that be that that drives us, motivates us, and pushes us. To you, my precious King, in Christ's name, amen.